Welcome to the Eastridge Church East Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Hey guys, I'm Austin Stevens. I'm the serving director here, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity uh, to speak uh, today. And we are continuing in our Gen- or in our reset series as we've been walking through the book of Genesis. And despite all of our shortcomings, our failures, uh, and really our sin, God gives us a reset. And so we've been talking about that all through this series. And today we're going to be specifically talking about remembrance or remembering what God has done. And my hope is that out of remembering what God has already done for us, we would have greater faith in him, but then we would also be compelled to act on that faith. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much just for another day, God, for waking us up again. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather in person in such crazy times, uh, to worship your name, to, to fellowship with other believers, um, and also to, to dig into your revelation. So God, as we open up your scriptures Uh, We pray that you would reveal your truth as we remember what you have done for us and that we would be compelled to greater faith and to greater action. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to ask you to think of something of incredible value to you. And this can be uh, something material. It can be something maybe immaterial. Maybe it's a position at your work, a job that you have. Maybe it's that dream house that you finally got, you've worked so hard for, you've you've saved uh, so much for all of your lives. Maybe it's where you're at in your marriage, you've you've put so much effort and energy and you're you're in a healthy place in your marriage and you wouldn't give that up for anything. Maybe it's uh, your grades, you've been studying studying so long and so hard to get those those grades or or that degree. Um, I want you to think of that one thing and I'm going to share with you one of those things for me, and one of those things is the engagement ring I got my, my wife that I have now. She was my girlfriend at the time. But it holds great value, not because it has diamonds and, and it's made of gold and all of that, but because of the story behind it. You see, in college, I, I went to Bible college, and if you don't know, Bible college is very expensive, right, Gene, Trey? Very expensive, yes. And... Um, so all through college, I'm, I'm working my butt off, I'm going to school, but I'm also actually working so I can try to pay off as much debt as I can before I graduate. And I know it's, it's this impossible feat, uh, but I'm just trying to, you know, chip away at this mountain the best I can. Well, come senior year, things between Amelia and I are getting pretty serious. We were, we were dating at the time, and we're starting to talk about marriage and all of this, and I realize I, uh, I don't have any money for a ring. This is, this is not good. So my last semester, I decided I'm going to work all semester, and every penny I make, I'm going to put into buying her this engagement ring. Great plan, right? So the only job I can land is being a plumber at our college. And 
I don't, want to disrespe- I don't want to disrespect anyone that's been a plumber or is currently a plumber. I was a plumber, okay? This was a, this was a hard job for me. If you don't know me, I'm not the most handy guy. Um, I'm, I'm learning as I'm getting older how to fix things and all of that stuff. But back in college, I just had no idea what I was doing. And so becoming a plumber was way out of my comfort zone. But it was also out of my comfort zone for some other reasons you can probably imagine, right? Um, it's not the uh, cleanest, um, easiest job in the world. And so I actually have a lot of respect for plumbers because of this. But most days, uh, it was pretty typical stuff. I'd wake up really early before class, and I would go work, and then I'd go to, go to class and all of that. And then I would work a little bit after, and then I would have this tiny bit of free time to do, uh, you know, college stuff, right? Uh, play basketball and, and really write papers, right? And so... Every day, it was kind of fixing leaky sinks, and maybe we would replace a toilet, some, some I would consider like easier jobs. But every now and again, a pipe would clog, or a pump would, uh, would break down, and we would have to get in there, and we would have to fix this. And I want to remind you, this is for a college with hundreds of kids and faculty and missionaries on campus. This isn't like a little household. So when a pipe clogs or a valve or something goes wrong in this serious way, I'm talking about hundreds of people's stuff, if you're with me, <laughs> getting, getting stuck, okay? So no more needs to be said there. It, this was a dirty job. Um, have, has anyone in here seen the show Dirty Jobs? That was me. That was me for a whole semester. But looking back, um, I was so grateful not for just the learning experience, but because I was able to, to humble myself in a way where I could serve my wife um, before even being married and, and to buy her this, this precious ring that we now both cherish. Um, and so that's something that I hold very valuable, not just because of, of the, how much it cost, but because of the story behind it. So I want you to hold on to that thing, whatever it is, and we're going to come back to it towards the end of the message, but something really valuable. Because today... We're going to remember a message out of Genesis where a man was asked to sacrifice what he loved most. God asked him to do this, and he didn't give him a reason, and he was faithful to God because he remembered God's promise to him. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 through verse 22. It's an an enormous story, and so I'm I'm going to sum it up for us. I'm going to kind of walk us through it quickly because we, we don't have time to cover 10 chapters of scripture. And then we're going to go back and we're going to pull out some wisdom from the scriptures that we can apply to our lives. And I just want to point out that a lot of times in our lives, we're so focused on our own wills, our own goals, our own dreams, that we oftentimes forget what God has in store for our lives. And I don't want you to get me wrong here. There's nothing bad about dreaming, making goals. The most successful people in this world are the ones that make goals and they set ways to achieve those goals and dreams. But where we go wrong as believers is when we set those goals, we set those dreams, and we do it without regard for what God has for our lives or without regard for what God has for the lives of those around us. And so we're going to look at how we can better shape our lives around the promise God has already given us. So in Genesis chapter 12, a man named Abram is promised by God to have a son that would be a blessing to the entire world and that he would be the father of many nations. It sounds great, right? 
But you see, Abram and his wife Sarah, they were, they were getting kind of old, or I would say they were getting kind of wise. That's, that's kind of the joke here. But God makes this promise, and they're like, all right, God, we, w- we would love to see this happen. They've never been able to have kids before. And Abram believes God. And this is where the story gets really cool, because God credits Abram righteousness because of his faith. And this is the, the first time, really the only time in the entire book of Genesis that we see this happen. You know, throughout this whole series, we've been reading about God failing, or we've been, not God failing, mankind failing, and then God redeeming that failure. But this is the first time that we've seen a man receive righteousness, right? We, we read in the beginning that mankind sinned, and then we were separated from God, right? We were, we were no longer right with God because we're an imperfect people, and God is a perfect God, and so we can no longer be in his presence, but Abram here is gifted this, this righteousness, which is kind of a churchy word. It, it simply means being made right with God. Even though he's still a sinful man, he's been made right with God. So it's this incredible part of the story. But there's still no son. There's still no kid. And so years go by, and Abram and Sarah kind of take things into their own hands. And they say, okay, well... Maybe we should try doing this a different way. And so Sarah gives Abram, her husband, her servant to have a kid with. And Abram's like, okay, this, this seems like a good plan. And so he has a son. He commits adultery against his wife. He has a son with her servant, his wife's servant. And then God says, no, no, this is not what I promised. I promise that you and your wife will have a son. And he changes Abram's name to Abraham. And so Abraham still believes God's promise, but his wife starts to doubt, and she doubts in secret. Years and years go by, still no son. But then, at the age of 100, Abraham finally has a son with his wife Sarah, age 91. And if you've heard the story before, you're like, yes, this is that story, the old people have a kid. Just... <laughs> Like, how crazy is this? My, my grandfather, he actually turns 100 this year, and I cannot imagine him having another kid right now. I mean, I'm, I'm 26, and I can barely keep up with my kid. I mean, 100 years old, that, that is a miracle, right, that God came through. And just when you think you're at the climax of the story, God actually comes back after, a few years later, and he asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son. And the crazy thing is, Abraham says, I'll do it. So he goes to sacrifice his son, and right before he kills him, God intervenes, and he provides another sacrifice. He he provides a lamb. So they sacrifice the lamb. God blesses Abraham because he acts on his faith. And then Abraham calls this mountain, the Lord will provide. All right, so that's, that's kind of the whole long story, 10, 10 chapters of scripture summed up really quick. I'd love for you to go read this on your own time, but let's go back and let's dig, let's, let's pull out some wisdom that we can apply in our own lives. And so first, we see God make a promise. And this is where our story also starts. God has made us a promise. And this is a beautiful thing because when God makes a promise, he always follows through. God's not like us. He's a perfect God. He has to follow through with his promise because he's perfect. 
And God's also not like us in that he has any limitations. God can do the impossible. He can do anything. And so when God makes us a promise, no matter how small or how impossible it may seem, God is going to come through with that promise. So God makes a promise. Next we see in the story that Abram or Abraham believes that promise. And this is where I was talking about how he receives righteousness simply because of his faith. Abraham hasn't, he hasn't done any action. He hasn't really done anything up to this point other than have faith in God's promise. And he's granted righteousness because of this. And I just want to say the same is true for you and I. And, and glory to God because of that. Because we are all a broken, sinful people, right? We've all been separated from God. And we all need to be made right with God to spend eternity with him. And so how do we do that? It's nothing that we, we actually do. It's just simply believing God's promise. That's all we have to do. Is have faith in God and we receive his righteousness. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So God makes a promise. Abraham believes that promise. But also in the story, we see that sometimes we doubt God. You see, Abram, at this point in the story, and Sarah, they start to doubt God's plan and they take things into their own hands, right? I'll give you my servant. We'll have a, we'll have a son through her and then, and then the world will be blessed. That's how we will have this great lineage and you'll be a father of many nations. And if we're honest, we're just the same way, right? God makes us these incredible promises in, this, in the scripture. But we think we know better, don't we? We think we, we have a better way. We think there's a better way to go about doing things. And so we take things into our own hands And we really, we truly, genuinely believe it's a better way. But God has made us a great promise and his will for our lives is the perfect way. It is the best way. And there's no reason to stray away from that. He doesn't want us to make our own plans. He simply wants us to follow his good and perfect plan. And also, kind of within this doubting, so Abram still believes. This is after they've had this this son who's, who's not the one the world would be blessed through. And then God says, no, remember my promise. Remember my promise. And so Abraham remembers the promise, but his wife doubts in secret. I just want to pull this aside because we all doubt sometimes, don't we? It's hard to believe in in such a broken world that God can be perfect. It's, It's hard when we're going through trials to not doubt God's goodness, right? And this is where Sarah's at in the story. She's getting old and she's been given this amazing promise, but she's battling inside with, I'm barren. I can't, I can't give my, my husband a son. And this was extremely important back in, in, in Bible times, right? It's, it's even considered really important in today's times. So she's doubting God, but she does it in secret. And there's this, um, there's this kind of funny dialogue within this doubt where, where God is somehow supernaturally with them and, and talking to them. And he calls Sarah out on her doubt. She's like, no, God, I believe. He's like, no, you, you don't. You're doubting me. And, and you're lying about this doubt right now. And I just want to pull us aside and say, and when we doubt God, when we stray away from his plan, it can lead us into greater sin, right? Sarah's doubting God and out of her doubt, 
She is then lying right to God himself. So we need to do our best, church, to not doubt God and to live in his perfect plan. Because if we don't, we can slowly stray away, we can slip away and fall into sin. And sometimes secret sin, as we see Sarah sinning and doubting in secret. But Abraham believes they continue to remember this promise. And so decades later, decades later, God fulfills this promise and he gives them this one and only son that the world would finally be blessed through, that the world, that, that Abraham will be a father of many nations through. And it's this great part of the story where God comes through with this promise and I can just see them celebrating uh, somehow at 100 years old, however that works. And it's this awesome, awesome moment. But then remember, God comes back and he asks Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And so what does Abraham do in this moment? He doesn't doubt God. He doesn't say, no, forget this. You've given me what I wanted. Now I'm good to go. I'm going to do my own thing. No, Abraham remembers God's promise, and he stays faithful to him. And this is where a lot of times we get it wrong. Because we're, we're so faithful to God, and maybe we're, we're even faithful to God in the hard times. But then once God gives us what we want, we kind of just push him aside. It's like a, a genie in a bottle, right? We've been saying that here recently. But that's not what God wants for our lives. He wants us to be faithful to him always. And so God tests Abraham with this ask. Sacrifice Isaac, your one and only son. And Abraham remembers God's promise. And so when Abraham's tested, he says, you know what, God? You've promised me all of these things, and I've seen that you've been faithful, like we just sang, right? And so I will go sacrifice my son if you're asking me to do this. And so he loads up Isaac with the wood to go make an altar, and they hike up this mountain. They build the altar, and, and Isaac's putting the pieces together. He's like, Dad, Where's, where is the animal we're going to sacrifice? Why am I carrying this wood to, to build an altar? Isn't that what the animal does? And he says, don't worry, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide all along the way. And they get up there and they build the altar. He throws his son on the altar. And right before he goes to kill him, God intervenes. And he gives Abraham a reset, you could say. A ram shows up out of nowhere and God says, I've provided another sacrifice for you. And so they put this ram on the altar and they sacrifice the ram and Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide, just like he was telling Isaac the whole way up there. And this is a crazy story. A lot of times we've, we've, we've heard the story a lot and it doesn't seem that crazy, but I mean, just imagine you making your child hike up this mountain with all of this wood and then going to kill your own child. I, I, I hate to say it, but I don't know if I could do it. Like, that is some crazy faith that Abraham has, right? But we see that after this testing is when God says, Abraham, now you will truly be blessed. And so I want to point out here that Abraham is given the righteousness uh, of, of God because of his faith. But it's only until he 
kind of pass this test only until he acts on this faith that God gives him this great blessing, okay? And I want to just talk to you about the blessing that we've already received. All we have to do is believe in it. You see, through this whole story, especially if you're a believer, you're probably uh, making all of these parallels between Isaac and Jesus or, or Abraham and Jesus. This is a, an amazing story that parallels with the gospel story. So I just want to talk to you a little bit about Jesus and how this story foreshadows God's great promise for all of us and how, how much it parallels. You see, Isaac was Abraham's one and only son. He was the promised one that the world would be blessed through. And Jesus is the exact same promise. He is the one that we would all be blessed through, right? He was God's one and only son. Abraham and Sarah, they waited decades for Isaac to come. And the Israelites, they waited centuries for Jesus to come, the promised one. Isaac, he would load up his back and he would hike up this mountain. He would carry his own wood to be, for himself to be sacrificed. In the same way, a couple thousand years later, Jesus would carry his cross up a mountain so he could be sacrificed on it. And what's even crazier is, this mountain the, the Lord will provide is in the same mountain range. It's right next to the mountaintop that Jesus would be sacrificed on a couple thousand years later. It's, it's said that Jesus was sacrificed on the Mount of Golgotha, which is the mountaintop right next to this mountaintop of the Lord will provide. So you see these great parallels. But the one thing that changes is that Isaac didn't have to die. God provided a different sacrifice. And this is where Jesus comes in for all of us, right? We've been talking about since the beginning, we have sinned, we're broken people, we deserve death, but God gives us a reset. And we remember in this story, in the same way that Isaac would have been sacrificed, really, we all should be sacrificed in a way for our own sin. But God has given us another way. And that other way is Jesus. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. God himself, a perfect man, lived a perfect life so that we could be clothed with his righteousness. You see, that's the one that we have faith in. We have faith in a God that's perfect, a God that has perfect love for us and has even come down, humbled himself to live a perfect life and die in our place so that we would not have to die. And so we just thought, today's all about remembering, right? Not only remembering Abraham's story, but remembering Jesus's story. And we thought this would be a perfect opportunity to take communion. And I know it seems maybe different taking communion in the middle of the message, but I want to ask you to go ahead, if you're a believer, get your communion ready. You can go ahead and awkwardly peel off that plastic. But I hope communion means something a little bit different to you today. Remembering back to the sacrifice that Isaac was about to make or that Abraham was about to make, but how God intervened and gave them a reset. And God has also given us a reset through his son, Jesus. And so as we remember Abraham's story, we also remember Christ's story. So I just want to give us all a moment to reflect on these two stories 
and remember what God has done for us. And then I will come up and I'll, I'll lead us in taking communion together. So let's just, let's remember. So here we are at the table, just like Jesus was a couple thousand years ago. And he took communion with his disciples so that the church could remember what he was about to do for the rest of history. And here we are a couple thousand years later, remembering back to that same story, doing the same thing that Jesus asked us to do. And so Jesus took the bread. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take this and remember me. Let's take the bread. And then after he took the cup and he explained how this would be a representation of his perfect holy blood that was spilt out for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we could receive his righteousness and be in communion with God forever. Let's take the cup. God, we thank you so much for being a a perfect God, for being a faithful God, for being a God that always follows through with your promise. And God, as we remember the promised one, your son, Jesus, we are incredibly grateful for that sacrifice. We are forever in your debt. May we never forget your greatest act of love. May we live within that love. We pray this in your name. Amen. So there's all this remembrance, right? But what does this lead to? You see, we remember God's promise that's already been fulfilled, right? Abraham had no idea what the future held. He just trusted in God's promise. But on this side of Jesus, we've already seen the promise happen, right? We've already seen the the one come and die in our place so that we may receive his righteousness. All we have to do is believe. But Jesus calls us to do just more than believe, right? It's not about just getting our our fire insurance, right? It's not just about escaping God's wrath. It's about actually being in relationship with God, loving God so greatly that we would want to live our lives for him. And so in this story, we've seen some crazy things happen. And we've seen God ask some crazy things of Abraham. And I just want to tell you that God's going to ask you to do some crazy things. 
As believers, he doesn't call us to live comfortably. He doesn't call us to to sit on the sidelines. He wants us to get in the game. He wants us to to live out our faith. So I want to challenge you with this. Don't just believe. Act on your faith. You see, sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense. He calls us to to give selflessly, even though the world tells us to to store up our treasures, to save, to invest. Don't, Don't give it away. Take care of myself. God calls us to give it away. We see Jesus tell these parables of of leaving the 99 for one, for for celebrating, uh, finding one coin. This this doesn't make any sense in our world. Why would I I leave 99 to find one, right? It doesn't make any sense. But this is what God does for us. This is what God is calling us to do. We see Jesus call Peter out of the boat to walk on water in a storm. I mean, who would do that? Who's going to jump off a boat in the middle of the ocean in a storm? It doesn't make any sense. But Peter does this out of faith, right? God calls us to do things that do not make sense. So what are we going to do when God tests our faith? What are we going to do when God calls us to do something that doesn't make sense for his kingdom? Are we going to cower in doubt and fear? Or are we going to step out and we're going to act on our faith? And I want to remind you what happens when Abraham did step out in faith, when he did follow through on his faith, that's when God's blessing came through. And, and y'all know we don't, we don't preach prosperity gospel or any of that here, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if you're not willing to act on your faith, maybe you do not have faith to begin with. And therefore, maybe you won't receive that righteousness that we're talking about in this story because it all comes back to believing, right? And so an easy way to figure this out is to remember that one thing that you hold most dear. For me, it's that engagement ring, whatever that is for you. If God were to ask you to sacrifice that one most valuable thing, would you be willing to sacrifice it? Would you be willing to give up what you hold most dear just because God asked you to? If the answer is no, you can't help but ask yourself, do I truly wholeheartedly have faith in God and his promise for me? Or am I somewhat still living in faith in myself? You see, God has always, even from the beginning, worked for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. So let's hand over our wills, our dreams, our goals, our efforts, our treasures. Let's give them all to God and let's see how much more he can do, how much better he can do with all of those things than we could ever ourselves. And let's watch God's great promise be fulfilled through us, church. You see, we remember not only the incredible stories like Abraham's, but we remember the incredible gospel message of Jesus. And so let's not just have faith, but let's act on that faith. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a perfect God and you have been so, so good to us. And as we've read your revelation, your your scripture, we remember these incredible stories of promise, impossible promises that you somehow come through every time. And so God, as we remember 
May we be compelled to greater faith in you. And God, may we be compelled to act on that faith. Not because we know it's, it's actually what's best for us, but because we love you and we want to do our best to grow your kingdom and to spread your gospel message. So Lord, compel us to do those things. Empower us to do your work. We love you and we pray this in your powerful holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church slash give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.